Thank you so much for tuning in to our church podcast. You can go to atarapentecost.com for questions about services and how to donate. We pray that you are blessed by this message today. God bless. Government agencies that do good, they might be overemployed and overpaid, are we having any government employees here today? I don't want to offend anybody. They might get more benefits. There are some, though, that are put to the test for good, like those the, uh, that make sure our food is not poison, our water is clean enough to drink where you can Turn it uh, on at your home. Are you thankful for that? Are you thankful you can go to the store and not have to worry about the food that you're buying that is poison? Nobody? I am. I am. And, of course, the air. So clean water, safe food, pure air. Those are things that the government oversees and regulates and monitors so that we can enjoy life as we know it today. One of our young men here today is asking special prayer for uh, Puerto Rico because he has relatives there and they are going, they went through a hurricane or typhoon or earthquake, whatever it is, a natural disaster. They, are, they don't have these things today. So they are important. And most of the time, those things are good. Most cases, the people working in these agencies, we can depend on them. But every once in a while, something goes haywire. In a recent article, both Yakima and Tri-City Papers reported a juice and fruit processing plant in Sunnyside was busted on multiple felony charges connected with the distribution of tainted food products. I don't want to, how many of you got a good lunch planned? Hold on. Hmm. Upon an inspection of the FDA, those people that monitor your food, you know, make sure your food is safe, they found undocumented vats, containers of juice had been sitting outside for a long period of time. Inside these vats, they found decaying remains of animals, bird and rat feces, dog and cat hair, fur, and insects. In one container, they even photographed a drunk rat. Apparently, the juice had been fermented. I'm joking there, okay? But they found a rat walking on a layer of mold and crust. But it's okay not to worry. Because the business owner and some of the workers decided that they would just mix the old with the new. Then they would put a new label on them, redate it, and send their product out for human consumption, both nationally and internationally. Not to worry. Some was even sent to the National School Lunch Program. Google it. This is your neighbor down the road we're talking about. And these things, of course, don't happen often, but you might be surprised that the CDC, anybody know what that is? They estimate 48 million people in the United States get food poisoning every year. That's a lot. And those 48 million people, 128,000 go to the hospital, and 3,000 end up dying. 
I say that just to help us to understand what I'm talking about tonight, this morning. When it comes to your eternal salvation, we don't have to worry about it being out of date, polluted, or tainted by the hand of men. You are in good hands today when you give your life to God. You are in great shape this morning when you partake of this gospel message through the new birth experience. You don't have to worry about it being tainted by the hands of men. It is a perfect solution for your sins to be washed away. Which brings us to our giant story. We all know the story. David and Goliath. The Philistines set their armies to battle in a place called Shokah. Notice what it says here. This place that they were on, this mountain that they were on, they were on one mountain, Israel army on the other mountain, and there's a valley in between. The Philistines set their armies to battle in a place called Shaco, which belongs to Judah. Hello. And it is time to take back the territory that rightfully belongs to God's people. You know what you know what really Judah is all about. What does Judah mean? Now I can praise him. <laughs> now I can praise him. You see, that ugly giant had put Israel into a tailspin. They were hiding and terrified. For the past 40 days, those Philistines had sent out one person, champion, their champion Goliath, to challenge the army of Israel. Their champion was somewhere around 9 to 10 foot tall, an estimated weight of 600 pounds. You know, just a, like this morning I told somebody that there was a maggot flying around in my office and I didn't like it. That's what a fly is. It's just a maggot with wings and I don't like them. But their champion was somewhere around 9 to 10 foot tall. He weighed about 600 pounds. He had a helmet of brass. He was armored. And uh, he, the, this vest he wore, they say, was somewhere around 125 pounds. The shaft of his spear, right, weighed in at 17 pounds. The tip of his spear was about 16 pounds. Just to bring that into... Comparison, the men's javelin used in track and field competition weighs in at 1.8 pounds. His challenge was, he said, you choose the man that is tough enough to come against me. He said, you choose a man and notice the wording here. I love it. His challenge was, choose a man, let him come down to me. He says, for I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man. The loser serves the winner. God's got a solution, doesn't he? David comes running, checking on his brother's. He tells everyone, he says, I'm not afraid of the giant. 
He says, I'm not afraid of this giant. Saul, the king, who was hiding along with the army, instead of leading the fight, he's hiding along with the rest of them. Saul hears about it. He says, whoa, that's good news. (laughs) Who is this guy? And he sees David. He sees he's young and experienced. He tries to warn him that he's going against somebody that has been a warrior all of his life. And he looks at David and he discounts his appearance, thankful that Samuel, God had to slap him alongside the head a couple of times and said, Samuel, don't be looking at the size of this boy. He says, I'm looking at the inside of his heart and I'm telling you that he's got the goods. He says, David, okay, buddy. He says, you put on my armor. After all, I'm the, I'm the king. We know, I read to you, Saul armed David with his own armor. King's armor, too big, too bulky. David says, Saul, I've not proved these. I have not proved this armor. I've not tested this armor to see if it works for me or not. You see, Saul has been tested already and rejected by God. Are you with me? Saul's armor, Saul has already been tested and God rejected him. 1 Samuel 15, 16, Samuel's words from God to Saul. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Better be careful. Those rulers in high places, they better be careful. When they reject the word of the Lord. (laughs) That armor will not stand. And in fact in verse 18. Back up. Verse 18 of 1 Samuel 15. Here's what we find out. Here's why that the Lord had rejected Saul. The Lord. Samuel speaking. He says the Lord sent you on a journey. We're on a journey this morning. You're on a journey. Called life. He said, Lord sent you on a journey and said, Go and utterly, listen to this, Go and utterly destroy the sinner. I'm going to cut that off just a little bit and say, God said He sent you on a journey And he said, go and utterly destroy sin. Not, thank you, Brother Jeff, for that lesson this morning. Not mess with it. Not, you know. Thank you. That's a word. Entertain it. He says, you go in order to destroy the sinner, the Amalekite, and fight against them until they are utterly consumed. Are you with me? Who are the Amalekites? Exodus 17 and 8. The Amalekites were the first nation that attacked Israel when they came out of Egypt. After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, this is one where he was sitting on the mountain and, and Aaron and Hur were holding his hands up. They were the first ones to attack uh, Israel coming out of Egypt. The Lord instructed Moses after that victory, write this as a memorial in a book, read it in the hearing of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar there and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi, which means 
The Lord is my banner because the Lord has sworn that he will have war with the Amalekites from generation to generation. God is not just in the fight. God is. He is the fight. He has already defeated any giant in your life. He said, write it in a book. When the enemy attacks you, I will come against him. He said, I will fight that Amalekite from generation to generation. Could we just say that that is a symbol of spiritual warfare? You will fight the fight of faith. You will fight the fight of faith, Ryan. I cannot fight your fight. Your mama cannot fight your fight. Your dada cannot fight your fight. The only one that can take and stand in this evil time is you. You are it. You're on the journey. You are to slay the sin that surrounds you. You are to stand for the glory of his name. That altar was a reminder that when you go into battle, that the battle is the Lord's. And the standard to which you war is the God for whose cause you contend. Contending for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Contending for the faith that God is one There is no other God. Jesus is his name. That is the only name that salvation can come from. He is truth. He is light. He is the God that created the universe. And when you go to battle... You are battling the forces of evil that are trying to dominate society in a world that they think they have dominion over, but they don't. The adversary of their soul is the one that has dominion over evil. They are just succumbed. They are deceived. Aren't you glad that we know that Jesus is Jehovah's salvation? (laughs) He's Jehovah's salvation. You are consecrated soldiers set apart to fight for God. Amalek is the child of rebellion. Amalek is the child of the spirit of Esau. He is a descendant of Esau. That's right. That's why Hebrews 12 and 16. See to it that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single mill, and later when he wanted to regain his title, he was rejected. That's why Malachi 1 And Romans 9 says, Jacob I love, Esau I hate. As it is written and forever remains written, Jacob I loved, I chose, I protected, I blessed, but Esau I hated, held in disregard compared to Jacob. Why? Because there is a spirit that resides in the ancestry and in the DNA of Esau that says, God, you are not so valuable in my life. You are not so great in my life. I can just as soon live a life that, is, uh, that flows with society, 
where Jacob says no. He says, God, I want every blessing. I want every promise. I want everything that was promised to Abraham. I want everything that was promised to Isaac because I know that you are the one that brings that blessing into a person's life. I want you, God. There's a difference. Saul and his armor have been tested and failed. David tried them on and said, nope, they, I've not tested these. I will go with what I know has been proven to work for me. Is God working in your life? Have you found that His armor will take you through? Is His word true? Has He brought through the power of water baptism in Jesus' name? Do you feel the release from the guilt and the shame of your sins? When you have been filled with the power of the Holy Ghost, do you still feel that consuming fire and that baptism of joy and peace that resides within the power of that baptism? Do you still feel that that armor of God satisfies you even in today's world? When Saul and his army heard the voice of Goliath, they were terrified and deeply shaken. You know what Shokah means? That's a valley, that's a mountain that Goliath stood on. The thing that used to belong to Judah. It comes from Strong's Word, 7753. If you want to look it up, listen to what it means. It means to shut in for formation, protection, restraint, to make a hedge. In other words, the enemy was standing on the mountain that Israel, that Judah used to hold, the hedge, the protecting part of God, the restraint of evil in their lives. The enemy had taken it over and they were in terrifying fear. Instead of praising him, they were fearful. Now, I don't know if you're getting this or not. God's protection, God's hedge, the restraints. Come on, Job. They appeared before God. They had to request, the enemy had to request permission to attack Job. You read this story. The enemy said, you got a hedge built about him. You got a hedge build. You understand? I can tell you from a real life experience that there has been multiple times in my life that I almost perished, but there was that touch of an angel, or there was that supernatural, there was that hedge that had been built around me, that hedge of protection. Why? Because I am one that was born in the life. Now I will praise Him. I will praise Him because He is worthy, because He is God, because He is my victorious King. But they had allowed the enemy to stand on that mountain of praise. Anything that, that takes away, anything that depletes your joy of worship and praise, giving glory to God, you need to kick it right out the door. You need to understand that, that the Bible tells me that the joy of the Lord is my strength. When I worship Him, 
unashamedly. It is showing the adversary that not that I am strong within myself, but that I am filled with the presence of God and I desire to worship Him even though I am still in this sinful flesh. I will still worship Him. You have... Maybe you're here this morning and you have failed God. That's okay. Repent and then offer God what He's worthy of. And that is your praise. He's worthy of it. Goliath was standing there defying the army of Israel. You think you can praise your God? I have got you hiding in the sewer. They had allowed, as David would say, this uncircumcised Philistine. They had given up ground to the enemy. David never gave up anything, not to the lion, not to the bear. And he was not going to allow this nine-foot, 600-pound midget to stand on holy ground that God had given to them. Come on, we know the story. Who goes to battle first, they ask. Send Judah. But Judah's been taken. They lost their mountain of worship. They lost their mountain of praise. All they were focused on was what they were seeing every day. And that was some ugly giant that was defying the church of God. We know the story. David removes that armor of fear. He removes that armor of rejection. He goes in the power of his calling and the power of his anointing. Hello? And then he proceeds to run into battle. He runs toward that giant. He doesn't hide behind a tree and... Shoot an AK-40 MAGA hottie hootie whatever it is. He runs to him and he says, you, I am going to take your head off. He says, he spoke these words. He says, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with a shield Brother Cole, would you do me a favor? I forgot to bring it. Would you bring that shield in from my office? You know what I'm talking about? The turtle one. He says, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a shield, but I come to you. He says, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day will the Lord deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down and I will cut off your head. I hope you can prop here. Prop that dude up there, huh? Now listen carefully. Verse 47, listen to this. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. Listen carefully. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hands. David shoots one time. Runs up. Cuts off his head. Listen carefully. He disarmors him. That's right. 
He disarmors him. We're told he puts Goliath's armor in his tent. You read about it. Later we find his foot, Goliath's sword is a memorial in the house of God. Can I remind you, can I remind you please today that Jesus Christ has disarmed the rulers and the authorities, those supernatural forces of evil operating against us. We're told Jesus made a public example of them, exhibiting them as captives in his triumphal procession, having triumphed over them through the cross. Jesus disarmed him. And listen to me. Genesis 3 tells us that through the word of prophecy that yes, he was going to use human vessel to crush the head of the devil. He did. He overshadowed. The Holy Ghost overshadowed the Virgin Mary. She did give birth to the humanity of God in flesh. She gave birth to him. She crushed that Savior that she produced that she gave birth to was going to crush the head. But I'm here to remind you that when Jesus went to the cross, he dismembered him. He cut off his head. He has no authority. Zero. He has lost all of his power when the cross was finished. He has no power over you. The book of Luke, I think it is, Jesus said, I have overcome the enemy. He said, and I give all power. I'm just reading to you. They say Genesis 3.15 is called the first gospel of the Bible. Mary, Mary did her part. She believed. Once Jesus came into the world, he disarmed. He disarmed the devil. And he cut his head off. You know what Goliath means? Goliath means uncovered or exposed. That's right. David uncovered and exposed Goliath for who he was. He was just a mere man that was defying the army and the faith of a man called David. I want to listen to me carefully this morning that Goliath, that, that Satan has been uncovered, evil has been exposed. You need and I need to accept this that evil is simply the adversary being exposed by the glory of the church in today's world because when light enters into a dark place guess what darkness takes they can't help but behold what has taken place when you enter the picture when you enter the room I believe that God brings out just a little bit more of the Holy Ghost in you and the world takes notice they realize that, that darkness has been exposed. We are the light. We are the salt. We uncover it all. We just simply open the book and say, here it is, folks. He was defenseless against the name of the Lord. Notice 
Israel on one mountain, Goliath on the other. There's a valley between them. Ezekiel wrote about it in 2230. God said, I looked. I looked for somebody to stand in the gap. Go, go in that valley. The valley of the shadow of death. He says, I looked for somebody here. And then well, uh, uh, Isaiah, he brings it out. He says, uh, he says, I, I look for somebody. You've been, and he says, there's a voice that comes. I will come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to take away the first and to establish that new covenant. It was, listen, that road to Emmaus when Jesus revealed, tried to, to un, unravel who he was, we know what they, they were stuck. They were stuck because they figured that he was dead. They didn't realize that he was walking alongside them. And he says that he began to unravel, to explain the scriptures to them from the beginning of Moses until the day that he was walking with them. It's all about a revelation of God. And the only way that you find him is in the true identity of the name of Jesus Christ. That is the only God that has been manifest to you and to me. It is a revelation of who he is. He is my captain. He is my king. He is the great warrior. You see, if you were a military person today and you were ready to go to battle, you would hope and hopefully you would have a little bit of confidence that when you put on your battle armor, that it had been filled, tested. Hello. You would hope that it went through all the criteria to stop that bullet from penetrating. See, they're putting natural warfare, they're putting it all into the hands of men, hoping and praying that everybody's doing their job, that somebody didn't overlook something, that some corrupt company didn't allow something to pass through, and the government official was sleeping on the job, and he said, oh, just let it be, it's okay for now until a son or a daughter on the battlefield is wearing that armor and the enemy fires at them and the armor does not stop the death blow. It's okay. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He created the armor. He field tested it in the 40 days in the wilderness when he took the enemy on. It was field tested. It is written. It is written. The onslaught of the devil in trying to tempt you it has been field tested and it has proved itself during the time of temptation. It is written. And then, not only was it field tested, but it was secured when he took your sins to the cross. 
And he said, now, he said, now I got to show them. I got to show them how much, how much that armor costed. And if they can believe that I created the universe, and if they believe that my sacrifice on the cross secures them and will take them through, that blood atonement will do the job. That blood atonement will cover all of your sins. It's not a 99.9% chance that it will get the job done. You understand? It is 100% guaranteed that your sins can and will be remitted when you repent of your sins and when you are baptized in Jesus' name you are absolutely 100%. Your sins have been blotted out. And if you will live a repentant life, you are absolutely, there is an advocate, a lawyer, that will stand up for you when you are accused that you cannot make your way back to God, that Jesus Christ will stand with you and say, not guilty. Not guilty. Because all he sees, he sees his sacrifice good enough to get you into heaven. He thinks that what he did was so absolutely incredible that it will even take you into heaven. Now, that's pretty hard to believe when you're standing in these shoes. You understand what I'm saying? But it's not about how bad I am. It's about how great he is. It's not about how imperfect I am. It's about how perfect he is. It's not about how flawed I am. It's about how that he has no fault. There is no crack. There's no fault. There's no imperfection. He's perfect. And his plan was perfect. And his atoning blood is perfect. And his spirit is perfect. And his word is perfect. As you stand, listen carefully, Jesus invented it. He field-tested it, but then he put it on humanity to see if it worked. He said, what's the guy's name that prayed that was sent to, skips in my mind, was sent to, to pray for, for uh, Paul, Ananias? God said, Ananias, don't be afraid of this man because I must show him. I must show him what he must suffer for my name's sake. You know what he was doing? God was saying, Paul, I know the zeal that eats you up. I know that you are zealous for who you think is God. But once I give you a revelation of who God is, he says, that zeal is going to compel you. I'm going to put my armor on you and I'm going to field test it in humanity to see if it works or not. So Paul put it on. That's why he could say, when he was shipwrecked three times, left out in the deep for a day and a half, I think it was, and he said, it works. I'm still float. That's why when the devil took a bite on him, the Bible says he just shook the beast off. Field testing the armor of God. That's why when they stoned him, and even the apostles thought he was dead, he got right back up. He says, it works. How do you know it works? Because, see, 
I know him in the power of his resurrection. And I know him in the fellowship of his suffering. Why? Well, because he has chosen me. He has chosen me to test this armor so those following after me can be assured that it will work, that it does work. One size fits all. How many times have you been beat, Paul? 39 times, what, five times? I think. Somebody help me. 39 stripes. Five times, I think it was. Whew. Will that armor hold up? Will that armor hold up? When they beat you? It's field tested. It works. Oh, but, oh, here we go. How about when I'm imprisoned under false accusations? Well, you need to understand. Paul hasn't lost his Judah when he's in prison. And even at midnight, after he's been beaten, he's not lost his Judah. Him and Silas, they begin to pray and they begin to sing. And all of a sudden, they're, whoa, the prisoners are released. The foundation of the prison shakes. <laughs> whoa, everybody walks out. He field tested it. What? For you. So that all you got to do is read and believe it. That Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, two months ago, five weeks from now. The armor doesn't get moldy and decrepit and, and drunk rats crawl all over it. No, it is pure, undefiled. It is absolutely powerful. You can put up Ephesians 6, 10 through 13 here. You can. Listen to how he closes this book out. He says, finally. He says, finally. I'm going to reveal to you what it takes. He says, stand. Take a stand for God. When he uses the term stand there, you know what that means? That means it's a military term telling us not to give any territory over to the enemy. That's what it means. Ooh, be strong. Ah, be strong. Right there, be strong in my own. I'm like one tough guy. Oh, I'm sorry. Be strong in the Lord. <laughs> and in the power. Sister, in the power of his might. The one that visited hell. And came out of there with the keys. And said, I was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. And I hold in my hand, church, the keys to death, hell, the grave. We don't have here, put on the whole armor of God. He says, finally, my brethren, this is put on the whole armor of God. Put it on, man. Put it on. Go ahead, run it, run it through. I don't have time to go through everything. You know what the armor of God is. Hmm. 
because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Call to arms, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. Guess what? Guess what those shoes had in them? Spikes. Those warriors, Roman legion. The reason why they were so strong, because they were able to dig in. With those shoes they wore, they had spikes on them that allowed them to stand no matter what terrain that they were in. They dug in, and then they had that shield. And when the enemy would dip those darts in flames and shoot them at them, that shield would just, would stop them all. Everything's defenses of until he gets to the last. And he says, and then take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Everything's defensive, except when you dig in. When you dig in and you don't give any ground, and all you've got to do is your last resort, you take whatever it is that's coming against you and you claim the promises of this word of God and you don't move. You open it and you, you read it, you recite it, you blast it off into the airwaves. Because it is your only offensive weapon. And I simply close with this. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You are here today and there is a need in your life. Whatever it is. Physical, mental, emotional, financial. It doesn't matter what it is. If you will believe that God did all of this that I spoke of this morning on your behalf, not just for me, on your behalf, then I challenge you this morning. You come down, you recommit, you dedicate, you deepen your walk with God, you ask Him to bless whatever need it is in your life, and I'm of the firm faith believing that He can do it. Would you come as they play? Don't allow the enemy to stand on that mountaintop. Don't allow him. Do not let him take away the strength that comes from the joy of the Holy Ghost. When we worship him, when we worship him, we're saying, God, I surrender it all, man. I just, I, I, need, I need you in my life. Would you come? Say, play. If you have a need in your life, you need special prayer. If you'll stand right down here in the middle, we'll anoint you with oil and pray with you and for you and believe with you. Come on, that's it. Come on, let's, let's seek him for a few minutes here today. Oh, let's lift him up. Let's lift him up. Let's praise him because we can. Let's praise him because he's worthy. Yeah.